Two thirty. Join my doctor right now. Is that what it is? Yeah. I was curious. I'm uh, I'm basic that way. I just love guitar. I'm basic. I'm basic. Who's not basic? And you love it. I'm not a developer. I work with developers and then. Jack Chapuki has been my favorite. Started. Uh, it's 15 minutes after. Caitlin did not say she was coming. You had the conversation already. Is she? Unlikely. <coughs> Unlikely. Okay. All right. Well, we will. We will proceed. All right. So this is Leaf by Niggle Part Two. Part Two. Part Two. Part Two. Yeah. Two. Part Two. Yeah. So, so make, does that make this Part Four? I don't. We're starting so, over, so we kind of have to delineate it somehow. Yes, we, we do. Um, did everybody get some excerpts out of it that you that you wanted to discuss? Um, I know you. Didn't. This is your first chance at, at yes. Leaf, so um, yeah, it was it was it was a little it was a little different last week uh, the way we went about it. So you guys didn't miss much. Um, if I want you guys to bring your last week discussion. Uh, to this, like, what, what your your first initial re reactions and things, and we'll, we'll kind of integrate that into what we're doing. So basically, we just ask everyone to read and get your excerpts that, that you like that hit you, and then we would just pick them apart and discuss them. Not pick them apart in a way like critique them, but uh, give give us a jumping off point. Because uh, the way we did this the first time was we just went word for word, word for we just read it, and we had somebody just read. I think Nina read most of it actually, and, and we would just stop. And then we would discuss something, and we'd read a little more. And just, so it was it was chronologically um, dissected. It was actually really cool like that. But with, with the group getting much much bigger, um, I don't think we would get through more than a couple of paragraphs before we would be on um, every rabbit hole that there possibly could be. So, all right. For uh, uh, Cody and Kennedy, right? What were your initial reactions? This is your first time reading Lee. <coughs> Initial reactions. This is a different book about death. Uh, so, what are your initial reactions on it? This is not like the road. This is not the road. We shouldn't get too angry. Right. Did Did you? First of all, did it grab your attention? Did you Did you like the style? Is it Is it, was, is it different than what you expected from Tolkien? Those kind of those questions. Yeah, I would say it grew on me. Okay. Twenty pages. I said. Going, what's happening? Yeah. Okay. And then by the end of the book, I was like, best book ever. Oh. I loved it. Yes. Really? Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. It just it came. Oh, I, I read it once today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, it's nothing you didn't tell me this morning. It's not long. I listened to it today just in the car while I was driving. Best book ever. Okay, best book. I would definitely give it a five. Really? I would love to hear about that. Not that I thought it was bad. That's that's good one. That was a good one. I struggled with it last year. I love it so much more this year. But everyone else was like, one of the best books I've ever read. I can oh, yeah. so many people. I, I need to read it every year. It's one of those books for me. I like it a lot more this year. Yes. Yeah. 
and I think it's that way a lot for, for very creative people. I think it speaks to that creativity <coughs> quite a bit. And we discussed that a lot last time about the, the creative. Uh, so one of the things we talked about last time was, was uh, in a sense, Niggle has this, he has this juxtaposition of, of feelings. He has the duty, he's duty bound to do certain things, but that duty takes him away from his, his, his passion and his obsession. What does he do? Which one does he give into? And there's this, there's this tug of war going on. If he if he goes over here and he neglects this, then these people suffer. If he comes over here, then his painting suffers, his passion suffers, and so we, we creators find themselves in this spot a lot. And Tolkien's wrestling with his book, and he's asking the question, sort of, is is art worth it? Is it, is it worth it to paint this? He wasn't a great painter, wasn't very successful. If you're not very successful, is it still worth the endeavor? That's we trying to wrestle with that question right there. Um, so, um, that jumping off point, what, where, do we wanna, where do we wanna take this? What kept striking me, especially before he started taking his journey, Nichols started taking his journey, was the times that he would finally grasp something but it was at a time when he couldn't go get on the canvas and start painting like him. Ah, uh, yes. Like when he went to go get the doctor. Uh-huh. <laughs> now he was out of the shed. He saw exactly the way in which to treat that shining spray, which spray framed the distant vision of the mountain. But he had a sinking feeling in his heart, a sort of fear that he would now, would never now get a chance to try it out. And that resonated so much with me. You know, there's so many times I'll see something, and it's like, oh, what was just pouring into me just trying to keep up with the thoughts coming in and my kids would come through and say daddy and I'd be like you know hand up just going holding the star and then they would go on about their day and they wouldn't ask me 500 questions and, and distract me from that because because it's so fragile that moment is so fragile um, and you're right and so Leaf sees it or then I mean Nichols sees it but he also sees it when he's lying in bed remember so it said uh, let's see where was uh, um Nigel was in the bed with a high temperature and marvelous patterns of leaves and involved branches forming in his head and on the ceiling. It did not comfort him to learn that Mr. Parrish only had a, uh, Mrs. Parrish only had a cold and was getting up. He turned his face to the wall and buried himself in leaves. But he, he couldn't get up and paint them. He just had to he just had to, to to be present in the imaginative state of the possibility of what these leaves could be and what he could paint. <clears throat> and that's a tough place to be and you can't you, you can't you, you can't do it you just have to go I just have to enjoy the moment mm-hmm. but learning that has made me stop and enjoy the moment even if I can't mm. yeah you know commit it to paper you know commit to writing or however I want to express it at least I've learned I've trained myself to stop enjoy that moment for a minute it's good. And then I can go on. And at least it's there in my head. I may not remember it instantly, but I know it's there somewhere. When I need it, it'll come back to me. I do a lot of audio journaling. In the moment, I'll be driving in the car and you go, shh. Um, Stardate. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and I'll just... I'll just give it, you know, 30, 40 seconds and I click it off and then I, I've got it. I may, I may forget all about it, but I may stumble upon it one day going, what's this? You know, this, Who said that? This, is, this is January 21st, you know, 19, you know, uh, uh, 
Uh, oh my gosh, 19? No. I, <laughs> 2010. That's 2010. Actually, there was a tape recorder that you would push record on right there. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I can see. Yeah. Did a lot of that too. How would you play actually. it now? Yes, but. <laughs> So, all right. What else? What else grabbed you uh, about this? Do you guys? Do you guys uh, like Niggle? Do you, do, you, do you? Which characters do you think you see yourself in, or what? What do you see um, in the character development? Maybe. I can empathize with Niggle so much. Wanting to do one thing, but having to do another, and trying to balance. We talked, you started on it, I now realize that we're like back at the first line again, I apologize, but the thing about that he was a painter, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of like why you asked like, what, what do you do? And that, that kind of fit right in with this this discussion from last week, it was like, what do you mean what I do for a living? Or mm-hmm. do you mean what I, <clears throat> what am I? You know, it's like sort of a big question. You know, yeah. Whether you're success, not a very successful one or not, you know? And that idea of identifying with the art regardless of, of the success and the nuisances and whether or not you're published or not and right. stuff like that. But I wanted to go back to something that Ruth had started on last time where she talked about him sometimes just being idle and you've been talking about him not being intentional enough or and so they're sort of bandied about whether or not you know that was true or whether that was him being artistic and enjoying you know enjoying the moment or not but I was thinking if it if that artistic temperament thing about you know, having reflection and, and being in the moment and stuff was a virtue, then why did it have to get purged away, you know, mm. later, in the, later in the country after he went through yeah. the tunnel? So I think that the point about him not being intentional enough is valid, is a valid, you know, argument or a valid concern because later on in the country, he finds out that he's better with his time. He's better at stewardship later, you know, when Parrish comes around. And so all of that work in the dark and in the workhouse and stuff like that, that sort of harsh treatment, purge something out of him. If we assume that being Roman Catholic, that there's a purgatory aspect to this, I don't know. I don't have. I often don't have a good stopping point, so I'm just going to stop. Okay. Because that's. I just do a lot of dot dot dot, and we'll just do that. I get it. Okay. So so when you when you give that little pause, yeah, we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, All right. So we'll say. It's interesting. Like, how often do you find yourself drifting away in a, in procrastination? It's, it's like you're not going about what you should be going about, and that's your unintentionality. Mm-hmm. But later in the story, he finds rest when he's doing his, his thinking and his little tasks. This is, this is his intentionality at work and yeah. choosing rest. And I, I'm listening to you, and I'm like, oh, those are really, they're juxtapositioned, aren't they? Intent, like on purpose in the story because rest is so important but only if it's actually rest and not you just pushing off what you have to do well but later on it was Parrish who learned how to rest and appreciate and Neville was actually Mm -hmm. more productive yeah Yeah. so I think sometimes we have this 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 notion of kind of like your iPhone you want things to run in the background as much as possible, because if things are running in the background, that means you have more, more, more capacity for things. So, we would like for more things to be automatic, and that's the relevant and the irrelevant. That's the vital and the incidental. Well, if you have daily tasks every day, and you have your day planned out, 
you have all of the vital stuff taken care of and you just operate within that flow. We talked about this earlier. When you, when you wake up whenever you want, do whatever you want, have, have no structure to your day, it, it sort of becomes hell because you don't know what to do and then, and then you're like, well, I didn't do this and I wasted my day and then you start self-loathing and loathing and you have all this frustration. But if you have, animals gotta be fed. Your, gut, your garden has to be this, you know, this, and you have those things that demand your attention, and you don't have to think about it. You just have to do it. That's a load off. Like I don't have, I don't have to think about that. I just have, I just have to do that duty. And this part right here says, when Parrish looked at Niggle's garden, which was often, <laughs> I love that, he saw mostly weeds. And when he looked at Niggle's pictures, which was seldom, he saw only green and gray patches and black lines which to him seemed nonsensical. He did not mind mentioning the weeds in neighborly duty, but he refrained from giving any opinion of the pictures. He thought this very kind, and he didn't realize that even if it was kind, it was not kind enough. Help with the weeds and perhaps praise for the picture would have been better. And then there's another section where Nigel climbs up the ladder to see the sky better so he can paint better pictures. So. The latter's purpose was to build and construct and to do things around the house and to take care and beautify your home and repair your home. And he used the latter for another purpose to help him in his paintings and his pictures. And you look at this and you go, he was supposed to have a garden, right? The garden was a part of the, the, the thing. And that you said later on in Purgatory, he, he actually, he actually, gardening becomes the thing. The beautification of things becomes the thing. And so there's this, there's this notion of, of, of what, what everybody here is doing. Like, yes, Niggle neglected his garden, but in a sense, Parrish neglected the other beauties. And so you see this, this wrestling of each person has their presuppositional, uh, you know, their epistemology, their worldview going in this. And he's like, I won't even look at the painting. And I, I'm going to be kind and not even mention it because it just looks nonsensical to me. Um, but a little bit of a little bit of both of them could like you say both of them intentionally could have shifted and reached an optimal state but we don't because we're human and we we have our patterns and our neurological you know pathways and so we just run you get up in the morning you push play all right let's run let's run this pattern and we just we just go with it yeah it's interesting yeah i mean well as we, as we all probably know if we've read any other tolkien he has a deep love and Combining uh, nature and purpose together. That's one of those huge themes. And so when you're talking about Niggle, like, it's, it's so interesting that he combines Niggle's work into the natural world, which he loves so much. And then the two main themes throughout the entire thing, there's two, uh, two substances that he tends to go back to over and over again. It's water and trees. Mm. And like they just play a role the entire time, and at the end, the spring, which in my version, I don't know if y'all's version, is capitalized. Spring is, is spring capitalized in your books? Hmm. Um, well, that is significant if it is. If it's not, then that was a typo, and then the version that I read. It's capitalized. It's capitalized. The spring. So the spring, you know, in that case, I'm guessing that it was intentionally referenced to, to the well of life, to the spring of life, to the river of life flowing out of uh, the new Eden, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's just really interesting how Tolkien brings together uh, those two elements, and like, like, we, like we're talking about, stewardship. Stewardship of your craft and stewardship of the thing that you've been given uh, here, you know, which is like, Life and uh, mm. and and life coming from both your work and from the earth, and like these two together, are like are the synthesis of, of you know this beautiful synthesis of like someone whose whose like mindset is to take care of the earth and someone's mindset is to like to show the beauty of the earth, and they just come together in this beautiful picture at the end and this like harmony. I just love that, mm -hmm. um, and it's it just. It's just a theme that he likes to he likes to play on a lot of his work, and you can see it anytime he talks about the West mm -hmm. and this, and you know, in the Lord of the Rings with somewhere early in there. It's just a, he loves that stuff. So let let's let's do this. Let's 
David said something, he said stewardship of, of, of the art, of, of that purpose, okay? And let's, let's look at, at, at the, the, the um, <clears throat> intentionality and the flaws of these characters, right? <laughs> Was Niggle being true to the stewardship of art? Because each character in their flaws were redeemed. You know what I'm saying? So what was Niggle being actually a steward to the art because he was so, the, the, the power of the image in his mind was so powerful that he had, he was the most obsessed, he had to paint this, it was on his mind, he couldn't get rid of it. It was, it was, this, it was this transcendent thing inside of him bubbling to get out. Was he being true to the art? And yes, there's a cost to that. There's a neglect to that. Parrish was also neglectful of things. His wife was neglectful of things. The town's leaders, they were neglectful. So everybody has the, everybody has the deficiency, right? Everyone has a deficiency. So what's to, what, if he would have had a perfect garden, a perfect house, and lived the perfect life as a citizen, would that have been better? Would he have been a good steward? Or he was given a gift of this, of, of this imagination, this tree. Was he being a good steward by spending his time doing that? For those of you who haven't finished your book, I'm trying to parse my words carefully as so not to uh, un unveil. That's why it was a little, it was a little, little tenuous there. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I was, I, was, I, was, I was trying to backtrack a little bit there. I think that, I mean, we're all imperfect, right? Um, and <laughs> I think it was, I think it's hilarious that it mentions somewhere in here that his, uh, that his shed was built on the old potato patch. I thought that was fun. Yeah. yeah. He actually just, he just, I don't know if he poured a slab right over that thing or what he did, but it, that, he just, no more potatoes for him. I thought that was funny, but... You could get them from Parrish. You got them from Parrish, yeah. But I, st I think that that he could, he could have done better, mm -hmm. and maybe what I noticed with, with the part that you read is it said that... See, I, I started to tell Ruth that it actually kind of sucks as a uh, as a writer's manifesto or an artist's manifesto, though, because so much of the fulfillment of it is wrapped up in in the hereafter, and you can't just be like completely pragmatic about your art because it's like your art is related to your relationship to your neighbor and. And, and your responsibility to your neighbor. And you wind up making some of your best art through those responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so like, I'm really, it kind of, I love the story, but it kind of also bums me out from a, a purely temporal focus standpoint, because I don't like all the implications of what <coughs> my neighbor means to me. And my time, you know. Mm. Well, C.S. Lewis says you've never met a mere mortal. You've only met immortals. Who you've, you've laughed and joked and married and jeered at. And you're either one helping them become a being of glory or, or, or a, a being of terror. And that. Yeah, so for least in this case, they were helping each other become meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> leave, leave the Tolkien to dismiss Lewis, right? <laughs> Yeah. Though, it, you know, when after they finished the parish and Nigel had finished the garden and such, and they're going for their long walk, and um, Parrish is asking the guy that's come, tell me the name of this country. Don't you know, said the man, it's Nigel's country. It is Nigel's picture, or most of it, a little of it is now in Parrish's garden. Nigel's picture, said Parrish in astonishment. Did you think of all this, Nigel? I never knew you were so clever. Why didn't you tell me? He tried to tell you long ago, said the man, but you would not look. He had only got canvas and paint in those days, and you wanted to mend your roof with them. 
This is what you and your wife used to call nibbles nonsense or that dobbing. But it did not look like this then. Not real, said Harry. No, it was only a glimpse then, said the man. But you might have mm. caught the glimpse if you'd ever thought it worth to try, worthwhile to try. I did not give you much of a chance, said Nig Niggle. I never tried to explain. I used to call you old earth grubber. But what does it matter? We have lived and worked together now. Things might have been different, but they could not have been better. That, that line. That line right there is. Things might have been different, but they could not have been better. So, I mean, what is it? Yeah, what do you guys do with that? It, they could have been different, but it couldn't have been better. It's an interesting position. I think it's a good literary device, and it's, uh, I like the way it sounds, and the risk of being heretical, I'm just not quite sure if it's true, because clearly it, it could have, something could have been better. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had, so <clears throat> he, he clearly wasn't, clearly wasn't perfect, so. I don't know. I don't know. Do we, I don't know if we have to take everything that a character says as, as necessarily truth. It is sort of strange to me when I think about that line, because to me it seems like if if that line is to be taken at face value, then it seems to me that you could say, then what's the point of the book? Right. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I think that I think that from the from Tolkien's perspective, it wouldn't. It, it may not be supposed to be taken exactly that way. Um, I, th I think perhaps what he might be trying to say is is better in the sense of full, ultimate fulfillment, but I'm not sure. Um, like it could not have been fulfilled any better. Maybe it would be a better way to say that, but I don't know. I might be putting words into his mouth, but it does seem to be somewhat antithetical to the purpose of the book, if that is true, because then why bother writing about an artist's struggle to you know, exist and then have this pull back and forth between his neighbor, except to say, you know, in an almost nihilistic sense, well, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's going to be good in heaven. You know, that's not really what he's trying to say, I don't think so. I think from his perspective, it has to be something else. I could see it being all things work together, you know, for could be good. That. I, could yeah. see, I could see that. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think if, we, if we pull at it from, from, from this angle and say, yes, at face value, you, you couldn't read this in a vacuum and say, you know, yeah, things, you know, I, I, you know, I killed a guy, you know, ran over another person, did, like, doesn't matter, right? Because it, my life wouldn't have been different, it just, or better, it just would have been different. But I think, for me, what I, what I take from this is, Niggle's struggle was honest, and he did absolutely the, the best he could do in the situation, that, where he felt that he was doing the best he could do in the situation. And, his maybe it's like this. Maybe his <clears throat> his aim towards the, the the art. Maybe his aim towards the art was such that that when when the deficiencies get redeemed, you know, and he goes through the garden. He, he actually they do more of the tree, and he he goes on. No, scrap that. I mean, maybe the Apostle Paul says that the sufferings of this world are nothing compared to the glory that is to come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... It's righteousness, like dirty rags. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah, another thing I was thinking, like in contrast, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and so it's, it's, it's... I don't think it answers anything in a sense, but I think for Tolkien, it was, it was worth it for Nigel to do, his, his life wasn't wasted. And I think that was more about what Tolkien was, was wondering was, did I waste my time writing Lord of the Rings? Will it make an impact? Does it mean anything? Was it, should I have done other things other than write this book? Did I waste my life? Because it took him a long time. Like somebody said last week, he didn't finish the Silmarillion because he ran out of time, you know? And so, was it worth me spending my time to create this piece of art? 
The answer is no, because no one's ever heard of Lord of the Rings. No one's ever heard of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the what? Lies? Is that what was? Lies? Um, and so you, you see that and you wonder, so if, if you have this passion, you can't get this image out of your head, and you just sit down, um, like, Lewis had an image of a fawn carrying an umbrella with a scarf, and a lion popped into his head. He spent his time writing that wood. If he didn't write it, his life wouldn't have been necessarily better. It would have been a different life because he was still pursuing the calling of Christ. He was still aiming towards Christ. His life would have been different, but not necessarily better because if he was redeemed in that sense, right? Um, J.K. Rowling, image of a little boy with a scar on his forehead and glasses, and writes Harry Potter, and it, it makes an impact. But maybe her as a person, would she have been better and more moral, more holy and things, or would it just have been a different life? And as long as she was aiming the correct way, then her life would have turned out maybe similar. I don't know. These are, these are I mean, it's, it's a great question to ask, but I'm just throwing out possibilities and what, what he might be trying to, to get at here. But on face value, I think we can all agree it's not, it's not a, a axiom to necessarily live your life by because it can become very nihilistic at, at, at some point. Well, let's put this to the test. I've got a vision of a guy with a yellow hat, blue shirt, and khakis, and I, I feel like we should just see what happens. What do I? <gasps> if what? If <laughs> yes. roll with the vision. If what though? No, I do think it's. I think it's something to put to the test, honestly. Yeah. Like that's. I. I it's. I'm kidding, but at the same time, at the same time, like it's, <laughs> like yeah. This, I don't think he's meant. To, he's, he don't think he meant this book to to be something that we just kind of like uh, read and then just kind of you know up, apply. You know, it's not like a like a like a, a rule book. I think he kind of made, meant it to be sort of a meditative thing. Yes. You know, something that you kind of stew on and and it comes back up at different points in your mind as you're going through different points of your creative life. Well, this could be a it could be a koan. Uh, a, 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 a Buddhistic riddle of, of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even scriptures, you know, they call it, it's called Jewish meditation literature for a reason. Like it's, yeah. it's like it's designed to be something that you kind of just stew on. And I, I, I think that probably, if, if you took that at face value, it wouldn't be, but that maybe it's supposed to be something else. Uh, something more, I think. Was, uh, you go back to how Nigel was viewed by his neighbors, by Parrish and his wife, and the others. Now he neglected the garden and neglected the house and didn't help out with the neighbors and such. If he had done more of that, then in their minds, yeah, it would have been better. But would he have been able to create mm -hmm. what he did once he went through the workhouse and went yeah. through his purification and such? Right, but and that's what that's the whole thing that frustrates me about the time. So like, just bear with me. So like, the thing is, the reason I say that it's a bad. It's like a, if your goal is to do physical art in the present, it's not a great book for, for that lesson. Because if you take it consistently all the way through, the thing that was more important was his relationship to his neighbor. And what, and that was where the best parts came in, you know. And, and what the inspector, the, one, the inspector came in and he said, this is the part that I really have a hard time with, is he said, houses come first. Houses come first. That's the law. And, and then he, he said, your, your picture isn't finished, but it's finished with, and now it's going to become a tarp, you know. And, and so... But so, so, right, so let's look at this. So like if you if you do apply if you consistently apply your service to your neighbor in such a way that you like it I guess it's the whole question of Christianity. I mean, should we all be you know laying our lives down in soup kitchens and Mother Teresa? Is that is she, what's her tree like? So the the question is like how much do we paint? On the how much do we daub on the tree here versus sending up timber, you know, mm -hmm. treasures in heaven? And I don't particularly like the answer because I'm in a semi quasi agnostic skeptical state right now. I, I think he is storing up treasures in heaven, Niggle. 
Oh, definitely. I think I think by him painting that, um, I think that the art of Earth is the furniture of heaven. I think that's where this this takes us. That this painting he painted. So if we look, if we do, if we do, uh, we take Parish and Niggle in Niggle's parish, right? And there's this great tree, and then we go back to they could have had a similar relationship in their own garden in front of that tree, right? And so why, why couldn't Parrish come and help Niggles' garden? Why couldn't he come over and do that, right? Maybe, maybe the, the Niggles' house is actually a reflection of his neighbor's neglect of him and their neglect of duty to him. And so they could have come over, they could have, they could have helped him and they could, have, they could have been this, and so everybody here has neglect. But yet, the only thing of value that came out of Nicholas' entire existence in his relationship with the people was the tree. And the tree is what was the place where he and Parrish restored their relationship was in that thing. And that tree was in, it was, it was in, it was in heaven. When he, when he rides up on the bicycle, when Nigel rides up on the bicycle, I lose it every time when he sees a tree. Falls off his bicycle. It, it's because you see that and you go... Yeah. My obsession of Penny Lee's, it was real. Either one, I loosed it on earth and it was loosed in heaven. Or I got a reflect, I got a glimpse of it. I got a transcendent moment of the muse descending and I got a glimpse, I got to dance with the muse for a second. And I was able to capture just, just one second of looking at that tree. And I got to try to paint that down here. And it so moved me here, but it actually exists in reality. The thing actually exists. The art you're creating actually exists in the ultimate reality. And you go, my life wasn't wasted. Mm. I was trying to capture one, one second of heaven in that. Or what I created here through me being the Imago Dei and having creative powers actually loosed that to be created in heaven. But only the actual version, not the Shadowlands version, but the actual version of it. And so you go, I, I think the relationship could have been the same here for both of them. But it was restored here, and, and the tree actually existed, and they actually worked in the garden, they, they got rest, and they, they cultivated a relationship there, too. So for me as an artist, I look at this and I go, yeah, me sitting down and spending two hours writing a poem when I could be doing something else, I might be losing something in that reality. Or I might be, ha I might be creating something that may have, I may be creating something that has eternal value. You know what I'm saying? So for me, when I see this, Nigel paints this tree, and this tree has eternal value. I go, Phew. So for the artist, I'm almost going, for me as an artist, I'm going, that to me inspires me that maybe I take one of those moments of the muse, and I'm able to, I'm able to have a hand in creating something eternal, or, or catching a glimpse of something eternal. And so that's where I come in, uh, into this and see this, and so... For me, it's always that's that's a great encouragement. That's why every time I'm I'm niggle riding up, and I'm seeing the tree and going, that's how I actually saw it. That's what actually moved me. That's what actually I, I heard the echo of a tune not heard, smelled the scent of a flower I didn't know, knew from a country I never heard of. It was the echo that came pulsating down through that I was able to grab a hold of and just for a second hear the echo and be moved and transcended to that moment. And here it is. It's actually real. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it, it, and so um, that's why I love this book so much for me. That's where it, that's where it takes me. Yeah, it takes me to some other place. And every time I think about this, this question of <clears throat> do I go do the thing or do I do this thing that I want to do that I feel is a moment of where I can reach out and reach beyond into something uh, that is, yeah, transcendent. Um, I kind of take comfort in the fact that both elements are are part of the transcendence, are part of the are part of the end. Um, even my craft is part of the end. <laughs> like, like, because every now and then I hit on something, and it, it may be no good to anybody. Uh, but it, in the moment it was good to me and maybe it'll be brought back around. Mm. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, like, like the other day I like wrote down this whole thing for the for a film we're working on and got done with it and I was like, 
man, that's awesome. And then I handed it to someone, and then we kind of talked about it, and, and you know, then we got you know, edited, bring it back together, and like, ah, oh, I need some work. Uh, and I kind of kept doubting it and over and over again. But, but, it, but every time I think back on that moment, I'm like, you know what, no, that was something else. There was something happening there. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I don't want to let the voices of doubt just crowd that out, because I had never been, I had not been so sure that that was something transcendent for a long time. And a really long time. Um, and so, like, things like that. Uh, I think I even remember telling my wife that night, I was like, I gotta I got work, I gotta work. And, like, <laughs> and, it, and it worked. Um, but then, yeah, you know, every now and then I'll be in the middle of a very frustrating edit. And what I really need is to go out and help. <laughs> my next door neighbor lift up a piece of furniture to their house, <laughs> you know, and then I come back in and <gasps> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I think it plays. I think it, I play. I don't know. What I get out of it is there's symbiosis. Um, I, I think that's it. There, there's there, there's a marriage of. Uh, I think it's exactly what uh, what you, what Joe what you're pulling at there is that there is this there is this call to. To, to duty and relationship that love God, love your neighbor. That's that's, there's, there's, that's what the law, whole law of the prophets comes down to: love God and love your neighbor. Um, and there's there's there is this there is this harmony to be had in in what we're in the creative and 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 in how to love your neighbor better. And, and so and that's I think that's what the wrestling here. The whole book is him wrestling with how to do that. And obviously he didn't get it right. Um, and so, what do you, what do you, anybody else have any thoughts on this? Because I think, uh, yeah, they bring up great points. I just want to say, on the last page, kind of touching on that, it says, it's proving very useful indeed, said the second voice, as a holiday and as a refreshment. It's splendid for convalescence, and not only for that, for many, it is the best introduction to the mountains. It works wonders in some cases. I'm sending more and more there. They seldom have to come back. Yeah. I think um, meaningful art points to heaaven, not just for the artist, but for mm. the consumer of the art, right? So maybe there is meaning in, I mean, some people are get introduced to the mountains via relationships, some people as art, some people as both. So maybe there's reason for both. Yeah. Mm. Servant of the work, I don't know. Yeah, good stuff. So, so let's pull on the mountain theme because I, I, this theme is fantastic. How, how many people here are beach people? How many are mountain people? I'm torn between both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a okay. Southern California boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like how, how, many, how many of you like to see cliffs in, in like England? No, I love, I, I, see, I love that. Um, when do we first see the mountain? Distance. Uh, in the book? In the yeah. book. Um, yes. Gosh, when when you start it? sketching it yeah, through, the through, through the leaves. Ah, through yes. The leaves. Well, through the, yeah, just, just, just a glimpse. It just sort of happened to you. Though, right. It was like originally caught in the breeze. So. <clears throat> Show off. <laughs> hey, I love it. This is a safe space, room. Really. That's right. No judging. So, the artist paints a truth. The artist didn't know that they're painting. It was, it was an accidental, but it was a truth. And it actually is the truth of all truths. Because where does he wind up going? Further up. He, further up and further up. He had no idea that he was painting his destiny when he painted the picture. He just caught a glimpse of it. That's the, that's the truth of visual art that is so deep that you, the artist doesn't realize that they're even painting the thing that they're painting. But when you look at it, you're like, that's true. Like, I, I know that's true. I don't know why, but I know that that is true. That's the unknown known. And, and, and so when we were, the first time that Nina and I and the kids went to <coughs> we're driving, and we've seen mountains before. As we were driving into, into Wyoming and we saw the Grand Tetons. Yeah, brother. Mm. I started weeping. Mm -hmm. No idea why. I just went, I just, 
I saw Grand Teton. I just started. I started crying. I was like, "What is going on? What yeah. that mountain calls?" I was driving. But it, it was very slow. <laughs> it was very slow. It was like you were going around a roundabout, and it was just. It was. You only go like thirty miles an hour. It was. Should be noted. There's a big long straight. It was a straight stretch. Highway. You don't want to talk about the Norway, the Norwegian mountains in northern Norway. Well, those mountains in northern Norway look like uh, Lord of the Ring mountains. They're just like these these great giant things just jutting out of the sea. They're incredible. It's like teeth. Yeah, like teeth. Just, I mean, it is. Uh, we were on top of a, a mountain called Raina, Raymondbriggen, and it was just this. Oh, it was an incredible scene. Um, so there's all this thing about mountains that it calls to you. And I told people go driving out west. Like, I hate Kansas <laughs> because it is absolutely the flattest. Most unimaginative drive ever because I can walk for three hours and the view is going to be exactly the same. There's there's no imagination. You get off the interstate, it'll be a... I'm talking about interstate. You can yes. see for miles and miles and miles and miles. Yes. But it's, as you get into Colorado and suddenly the mountains come and there's mystery because what's on the other side of the mountain? What's at the top of the mountain? There's all these questions that come that, that, that are spurred on. And so he paints the mountain and doesn't even know that he's painting it. And yet, that's the place that he—that's—that's that's the destiny. And you just go. Yeah, but it's not just his future reality; it's what yeah. saves other people yeah. too. Which I—I okay. I was thinking okay. when you're talking about the garden, <clears throat> and then uh, page where? Okay, end of page 105, where he—he's admiring what has become reality, mm -hmm. and he goes, "What I need is perish." Yes. He needs the relationships yes. for it to actually finish becoming a value. Yes. And the mountains finish becoming a value because there's people that are being sent there. And without the relationships, the, the, the art is the setting, but the relationship is the gem that makes mm. the art so valuable. Yes. Is what I is what I'm pulling from what everybody's saying and from what I'm reading in there, and I'm like, well, that's like God. God made the Garden of Eden, and we put all the things, and he put Adam in there, and Adam's like, hey, this is hunky dory. Not good to yep. be alone. Not good to be. And then yes. he gives them, he gives them his mate, and then it's, you know, sin from there on out. But well, I, th I think uh, King of the Group goes to um, Star's people right there. That was that was brilliant to make it a parallel to the to the garden. Oh yeah. Adam was in the garden. It was beautiful, but it wasn't complete without yeah. Eve. Yeah. That I, I, I've never seen it before. That is fantastic. Well, I like it because I need <clears throat> relationships. If I yeah. don't have my community, I am, and, and you all are going to hate me. Joel yeah. already does, so Do just not. bring it. Um, <laughs> here's what I have to say. The reason that I struggle with Tolkien in the very limited, because he makes me feel so lonely, and I cannot handle it. And so I, I've read because of uh, brother pressure, etc. I've done the reading that I'm supposed to do, but I can't handle going into it myself because his inner dialogue of the person telling the story is beyond rich. But I, I as the reader, am shut out of it, and I need the relationship. Okay. I need to be able to be involved, and I don't feel like I get to be able to be involved. And that's just my take on it. But that's why I can't I can't keep coming back to him. Interesting. It's because I I don't get to be involved and I need the relationship with him. That's so funny. Like, I get the exact opposite experience with the Frodo Sam relationship. I, I'm pulled into it as like is <clears throat> one of the most loving, just brotherly things. So are we talking about atmosphere then? That that the atmosphere that, that Tolkien paints for you is, is one is, is more I think the salmon fur was okay, and I just I said limited on purpose. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I they're they're obviously the exception because their relationship is so deep and their love for each other is amazing. But but a lot of his characters, their their inner communication is so good, and that's why they're so rich. It's why we keep coming back to them. That's why you all keep coming back to them. But I I don't get to be in relationship to that because they're in relationship with themselves. It's a full and complete relationship. Hmm. And that's just how I read it. And and y'all, I'm limited in it because I 
because I've only read it a little bit. How does this make you feel? The same. Yeah, I was like, man, this dude is like, he doesn't need me. I'm just going to go home now. <laughs> this is interesting, actually. I think you hit upon something that's, that's in Tolkien's nature. Yeah. I, I think, because he was, he was a, a cloistered figure. Yes. Um, he was in, you know, a, a high intellectual who, who <clears throat> probably spent a lot of time in a room, right? You know? Mm -hmm. And so he, he probably writes a lot of himself into his characters in that, like... Especially Nigel. Yeah, especially Nigel, obviously, yeah. So I'm, I'm... And he definitely writes himself into Bilbo, he writes himself into Frodo a little bit as well. And I think, and to a certain extent, he probably writes the, you know, if I could be so awesome You're as right. Gandalf. You're right, you know? yes. Um, who, is, who is, you actually get very little glimpse, very few glimpses into Gandalf's mind until towards the end of the trilogy. But it, yeah, you can, I can see how that would, how that would be, uh, how that would feel for someone who's, uh, who, had, who has a different kind of perspective, um, and especially when you're like, yeah, because I think he was a deep, deep introvert. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. I read, I read it that way, but I don't. I can't say for sure, but I'm guessing that the Inklings was actually a tough thing for him sometimes. I'm not criticizing his characters either. They're obviously lovely people and otherwise. Um, I'm just saying that because their relationship is complete within themselves, there's, they don't. I can't get into the room. And with other books that you read, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here relating to this character. I'm, I can have a conversation with them in my head. And I'm talking too much, so I'm done. No, no, no this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is fantastic. This is a perspective. Yeah, this is the critique that we need because it happens to be wrong. <laughs> is that not how this place works? No, 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 no absolutely, absolutely. I'm sorry. No, you're right. I'm sorry. I've not heard that before, but I can, I, I can see what you're talking about there. I can see that perspective of yeah, they, they don't need you. Like you're, you're allowed to come on for the journey. Yeah. It's almost like Lewis talks about in until we have faces. You know, it's, it's the gods having a conversation that you get to overhear the conversation, but it's not directed at you. They're having a conversation. You just get to watch the conversation happen. Well, I have a thought about the leaf and the and uh, about this whole thing. He, he's it, it, it says that he the, like the thing about him being really good at leaves is like so about Tolkien being a philologist and deciding that he should invent Alvish mm -hmm. first and then invent stuff to go behind the words, and then invent a history, and then eventually get to a story. I mean, he did it, it's like all backwards, right? It's like, I'll invent a language first. And, and so I think there is, and it's very Northern, it's very Norse, it's very Northern, it's very, I think there is a certain coldness that maybe that you can feel. Norwegians are cold people? <clears throat> I mean, like if you look at the difference between, between, like how you feel different about Narnia. I mean, like, oh, for sure. So it's like that. So did, so did Tolkien. You know, didn't like Narnia. And he was wrong. And he was wrong. <laughs> so, but his it's, kids it's, loved it though. Yeah, it's sort of like the the warm feeling that you get from Narnia. I could see having a sense of coldness from Tolkien. It's like a, a realist versus an impressionist. Or so so if, we, if we take that, what, what you guys have all said there, because I think those are, those are great. So if you heard a Tolkien give a lecture, it would be poorly attended, and it would not be a very exciting lecture. There, there's, there's recordings, of, uh, not recordings, but there's like record of this. He goes, and there's like five or ten people in the audience. Actually, he gave a lecture time to one person and gave his full like 45, 50 minute lecture to one person in the audience and just didn't like, didn't make eye contact, just gave his lecture, probably like Alistair McGrath type. Okay, then you have C.S. Lewis who would come in to give a lecture and he would walk into a room and it was standing room only. He would walk in and close the door and he would start giving his lecture, taking off his hat, taking off his scarf, give the lecture, walking through the crowd, going up, having people just, you know, enthralled, give the lecture, 
as he's as he's leaving the stage, still lecturing, walks over, puts his hat and coat on as he's lecturing, says his last word, closes the door, and goes out. And the place, you know, place goes nuts. Just different personalities create different different environments when when you're they're writing. I think those that comes out in in their in their characters and in their worlds. Um, and, but I think this is fantastic because I've never even considered these options with Tolkien because I'm actually limited in Tolkien as well. I know David has much more experience in this, so this is just this is fascinating. Very interesting, and, and there is a, there is a certain two. I think I was more I was thinking about this a little bit more. I think another thing that you're what you're seeing there is one of the typical criticisms of Tolkien is that uh, you don't get to see the characters' flaws very much internally. Um, there, and there, there aren't that many uh, in, in most of his deeper level characters. Aragorn, for example, actually has almost none in the books. Like, mm. he is almost completely, like, he shouldn't. You know the actor that plays him. Right. Yeah. amazing. Uh, it's, I mean, it's like, it's very interesting. A lot of people don't There's like that, actually. Um, I, I have a lot of people find, like, find that uh, a, a problem. But he did it on purpose. Um, because there was there was actually an allegory there yeah. as well, um, but uh, yeah, he's he, he paints he paints characters in, in a very um, deep yet not personable level, um, and there's only a few that are, are personable, um, and and you know I I actually find more person personality personability. I don't know if there's a right word there. And actually some of the characters from the Silmarillion, even though we don't get to spend that much time with them, because he talks about their feelings a lot, mm. which he didn't really do that much in, in Lord of the Rings, but especially in some of the, uh, in some of the early uh, stuff with the, when the men come, finally come into the West, they, they have some really interesting inner dialogues. Really tragic stuff going on, but it's very, very... Uh, interesting. I think he might have been trying to branch out a little bit at that point, but uh, yeah, I, I can see a certain a certain part of that connecting with what you're saying too. Yeah. Do you still choose to send hate mail? Because I will give you my address. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna send you. Well, what What about the Shire? Because I feel like I feel like when you get into the Shire, it's there is a a, a, a warmth there. That you, the characters are a little more free and they're they're a little more accessible. But the other characters in like Lord of the Rings are not as accessible. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as as a possibility. Was this all intentional? Could be. I mean, he wrote the Shire as as Britain. Yeah. Like basically, and and so like all the characters there are are similar kind of characters that you would find in a small town in Britain. Um, that probably. You know, half wonder if he's really even mean to. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Could have just been a, a, like, like Nagel painting the the mountains, not really yeah. realizing what he did. But he also did like he does harken back. Frodo thinks back a lot about how much he loves the Shire and how much he wants to preserve it. It's kind of his idyllic world. So I don't know. It could be. There's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, the thing with Tolkien is like. He's dense, like he's really dense. Yeah. Um, actually, this is probably the most shallow thing I've read from him. Yes. Um, but like, like he puts like worlds within worlds within worlds, and like Lewis did a great job of building character and, and like stuff. He never went that far, like no. with Narnia. It's no. just, it's never even close. Um, but it's, it's, it's just, it's just totally different. Um, and so you can kind of, you can kind of feel it, especially even in this one, you can feel it. It's different. Um, you know what's also weird? I think the warmth for him comes almost more, and you can see this in this too, almost more out of painting the picture of the garden. Like, he paints a picture of, of, you know, of the New Jerusalem in, in so much, in that yearning, that kind of Romans 8 groan, yeah. uh, into all that he does. <coughs> And it's, he doesn't focus on the character as much as he does focus on drawing your attention to the thing that's inside of you that wants that thing that he's talking about Which so much. Which would explain why the Shire is warm. Yeah. Because it's the same yep. thing. And why the West is so, like, just out of reach, but you want it so badly. Yeah. And why the elves says, oh, yeah. Well, like, there's, there's, here's, here's a good example. 
the elves uh, were the first born uh, in Middle Earth and in Arda. They they were the firstborn, and their curse is that they have to live forever. And so as they go on, they see the world slowly fall into decay. And it just gets it gets kind of progressively worse. And the longer they live, the harder it is for them to be in Middle Earth. So the so the uh, the val uh, the gods, I'm totally blanking on, on their proper name, will create the West, which is like basically heaven on Earth. And, uh, and this, this always out of reach thing, but they try to create little pockets of Eden everywhere they are. And that's a big focus of what he's talking about uh, and in the books, like reforming, you know, like recreating Eden where we are here, um, which is a big, which is a big, Imagery in, in scripture, like the temple is supposed to be a mini Eden, Jerusalem is supposed to be a mini Eden. I mean, there's just over and over again the prophets paint a picture of Eden. Um, so much symbolism in there. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, and he's very, he was very steeped in <laughs> in that stuff. So I, I imagine it kind of came out a lot in his writing too. That was long. Sorry. No, this was good. This, this was this was good. I think we we, we found a, a vein and we. We definitely mined, mined some stuff here that was, was really, that was fantastic. I, I learned some stuff tonight. This is, it's uh, at least something to wrestle with. It's, uh, it's really good. So, um, I think we might be. Or are you guys, you guys want to go to the week? Are you ready to close it up? Because I, I, we can close it up with just uh, a few more thoughts here. For where do we want to do next week? Do you, if you guys have more stuff to pull, we'll, we'll pull it. I'm, I'm not saying that, but. I'm looking. I don't think we have decided the next book is. So we'll we'll decide this week. I'll send out a a, a, a poll and see. I'll uh, get the list of books going. Tomorrow, we'll see. tomorrow morning, we'll send it out. Because <laughs> everyone want, We need to decide like tomorrow, so they can. Get I'm the a decider. Oh, I'm a decider. <laughs> <laughs> All right, George. Um, I, there's still. If, if, if you quite a bit in there. Okay, if you got stuff to do, still quite a bit in there. All right. I mean, I, but I don't want to. I won't be here, so I'm out of the battle. Okay. Everybody else feel like you you want to go a little little, little bit deeper, a little, little more? Right, Maybe you got some stuff next week? Yeah, either way. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. David, you're out, you said? No, I'm here. I'm okay. trying to think if I have anything more to add. I don't, but I'd be happy to listen. I've been thinking a lot about what we were discussing earlier and the tension. I don't really, I mean, I know you can talk, we, you know, we can talk about like, okay, everyone's an artist. I don't personally identify much as an artist. Like I don't, I, I don't see the world through that lens very much, I would say. Um, but I was just thinking about some of the discussion we were having about the tension that an artist can experience between wanting to produce the art that they have inside of them in some form, but also the duty that's required of them practically, specifically to their neighbors, say. And I guess I was just thinking about the overlap between those two things, because I, the phrase that you used earlier, you said, I, I create my best art through my responsibility to my neighbor. And I thought that was an interesting thing to say. Um, but just thinking about art as an attempt to like glimpse the transcendent, experience the inspiration as a result of that, and then produce something that captures some of it for your own sake and for the sake of other people around you to see if you think of, you know, the ultimate embodiment of the transcendent as the expression of love between neighbors. It's like, it, it feels like they kind of line up again. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, in in this attempt to glimpse the transcendent and produce something, it's like the ultimate form of that is to like glimpse the transcendent as the expression of ultimate sacrificial love. Like, and you can create art that like expresses that in some form, but it's like it, it's almost like your motivation to create art is like an attempt to create something beautiful in the same way that in an attempt to love your neighbor, you're like performing and participating in the ultimate expression of beautifying 
existence. Hmm. Well, yeah. we can go home. No need to come back next week. Well, that's really Brody good. Man. Pretty that's answered really, it right there. That's great, man. <laughs> well, I was thinking that's about awesome. the line that, that she read about how it was when he got out of his shed, he glimpsed the thing. So, like, when he actually went out and did his duty. Yeah, I was going to He glimpsed the thing that he hadn't seen in his shed. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's that if the, feed in the shed on the ladder when he was yeah. sick in bed, you know. Yeah. 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 It's like I feel like yeah, parts meaningless in vacuum, but meaningful in community. And, and so you do, totally get it. So when we so through our getting the transcendent and expressing the beauty that we saw, is it in fact also to help our brothers and point them and aim towards the truth? It's it's the notion of I have to paint this, and if you look at it, you, it'll point you to, to the truth. If I'm, on, if I'm an honest artist, and I'm doing this honestly, I'm going to catch a glimpse of this, and it's, it's going to help point you in that, in that direction, and we can both walk together. I, I get to see the truth because I'm expressing something that I saw, and you get to experience the truth because you're seeing what I've expressed, and, and we can walk, and that, that, that should build that bond, and, and we, we, can, we can bring that and synthesize it all together and go, my act of this is to help our relationship here as we both press towards the mark. And I think in both contexts you're doing some form of wrestling with the transcendent. Yes. And engaging with it in a way that if you're doing it honestly is transforming yourself into, you know, like from glory to glory, ideally. Um, and so even in engaging with art and trying to glimpse that, it's like, yeah, you know, like, when we see him, we'll be like him. Yeah, very good. Man, this this has been a this has been deep, guys. This was a Ezekiel swimming waters right here that we got out into. And I, I, oh, I, I didn't enjoyed get it. Into the river. Oh man, I could have gotten we could have gotten going on that one there. Ezekiel, yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, I will, or if someone wants to become communications director, wants to uh, <laughs> take over, we, we'll get an email out with a list of all the books people have put out, and I'll probably, I won't give too many, I, let's say we'll give like a, a five books, and then it'll be rank order of who like the ones the best, we'll, we'll do probably the next two or three books off of that list, and just rank order, which was who like, so vote your top five and put them in chronological order, best best to worst, and then we'll we'll, we'll go from there on that. Are you guys happy with what we got through? Everybody get it, what was on your chest, you got it off your chest. Uh, that's what we want, just, you, if something moves you and stirs you, I don't, yeah, get it off your chest, let's let's wrestle it out. It's got some, because there's some good things. The parallel of the, of the garden, come on, that was, was tight. All right, let's do, uh, let's see you guys next week. Thanks so much for coming. Further up. Further, Further up. up.